What is up, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 52 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and I am back again a day later than usual. I tweeted out on Thursday just to let you guys know that because of the Rangers' quirky schedule these next two weeks, where they have back-to-backs each week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and I'll be traveling for both of those weeks It's making it a little bit difficult for us to do our usual Thursday routine and record on Wednesday. And quite frankly, anything we recorded on a Wednesday would be irrelevant in some ways by Thursday because the game the Rangers are playing Wednesday night wouldn't be addressed. So we made the decision that we're going to release these next two episodes on Friday mornings. So that's this week and next week. Just a heads up for you guys. So here we are on a Friday morning coming off the Rangers back-to-back games against the Chicago Blackhawks and the Colorado Avalanche. We will get into those games in just a moment. But first, I want to tease our guest for this week. Really excited about this guy. Him and I have been talking about doing this at some point for probably, I don't know, a year maybe now. Finally, we've picked a date to to make it happen, and that's going to be Sam Rosen. Many of you know him from MSG Network. He's been the broadcaster, the voice of the New York Rangers for almost 40 years, which is pretty incredible. So we're going to get into some stories with Sam and and his career experiences and some of the stuff that he's seen around the team, as well as his own career path and how he landed in the role that he's now been in for close to four decades. So really cool conversation with Sam coming up for you guys. It's going to be pretty cool to have that voice that you all know so well and love so much on the podcast. So Get to that interview with Sam shortly, but first, let's talk about what's going on with the Rangers, and I just mentioned that they played back-to-backs. They beat the Blackhawks in Chicago on Tuesday, score of 6-2, to two, pretty complete victory, especially with the way that they distanced themselves at the end of that game. They didn't play that well in the first period, I thought, but by the time the third period rolled around, the Rangers really put their foot on the Blackhawks' neck and show that they were definitely the better team in that one. I think they scored four unanswered goals in that final period to come away with that win. Big game for Artemi Panarin, who's been really good for the Rangers recently. He had four points in Chicago. But then the Rangers come home. After flying late, they got on a plane, I think around midnight from Chicago, got home around 3 o'clock in the morning from, from what I heard from some people by the time guys were actually in their homes and ready to go to bed. So difficult turnaround, no doubt about it. And then you have the Avalanche coming into Madison Square Garden on Wednesday who are definitely one of the best teams in the NHL. They were my pick to win the Stanley Cup in the preseason. They started off maybe a little bit slower than they hoped for, but they've been playing really well recently. And their offense, their overall team speed is impressive. They lead the NHL by a wide margin in goals per game. So you're talking about one of, if not the most skilled teams in the entire league, one of the most difficult teams to defend. And for the Rangers, it was sort of a perfect storm even going into it, I remember talking to a couple of people about how difficult it seemed like that game would be for the Rangers to win, given the circumstances, not only the back-to-backs and the grueling schedule that they have been going through. They're in a stretch right now of 10 games in a span of 17 days, but also they were throwing out essentially what is their fourth string goalie in Adam Huska. I was surprised by that decision. I really thought that Gerard Gallant was going to go with Alexander Georgiev, for the second or third straight game, but a second on a back-to-back after he had gotten the win in Chicago. But Gallant said 
He did not want to do that. He wanted to make sure that he didn't overuse Georgiev, even though he's been used so sparingly throughout the season. That's why I thought they would go with him in the back-to-backs. But they opted to go with Huska. I think deep down, they probably had a feeling that this was going to be a difficult game to win. They know Georgiev has gotten some of his confidence back. I don't know if that entered into their minds at all, not wanting to expose him to a team like the Avalanche when you know his confidence has improved. Maybe that was a factor. Maybe it wasn't. Again, still surprising decision that they went with Huska. And to his credit, he hung in there tough in the first period. The Rangers gave up 19 shots in the first period, and Huska stopped 18 of them. So for a while, it looked like he was going to keep them in the game. But in the second period, Colorado opened things up. Five unanswered goals in that period really took it to the Rangers and demoralized them in a lot of ways. After that, the game was over. The, The third period felt kind of irrelevant, to be honest with you. And it was a little bit of a comeback to earth moment for the Rangers. Coming into that, they had won seven games in a row. They had won 11 of 12. They had the best points percentage in the league, which is pretty incredible to think about. But this was definitely a dose of humility for them. I'm I'm sort of in between wanting to read too much into the game and understanding the circumstances. I think I lean more towards the latter. I think given the things that we discussed about the travel and, and the grueling schedule and the back-to-backs and, and definitely the goalie situation, it would have been a stretch to expect the Rangers to win that game. So take it with a grain of salt, and especially given all the success recently, you can't expect them to win every single game. So certainly I lean a little bit more towards just move on. Don't make a big deal of it. But some people I know will point to the teams that the Rangers did beat during that hot streak and say, there aren't many surefire playoff teams in that bunch. Really the only two are Florida who they began that, that 11 out of 12 streak with that win against Florida. And we all know that they were outplayed in that game. They were thoroughly outpossessed, thoroughly outshot, thoroughly outchanced, and that Igor pretty much single-handedly won that game for them against the Panthers. So that game is even almost hard to count as a quality win in some ways. But to me, the best win during that stretch was the win over the Boston Bruins on Black Friday, 5-2. to two. Definitely their most complete game, I think, during that stretch, their most impressive win when you consider the quality of the opponent. But beyond the Bruins, yeah, I, you have to agree that if you look at the teams they beat, not a lot of real high quality, not a lot of teams that you would expect to be in the hunt at the end of the season. So I get it, but at the same time, you can only beat the teams in front of you, and the Rangers have done a tremendous job at doing that so far this season. So I think way too early or way too premature to make anything beyond an off night of what happened against the Avalanche. Here's the thing. As we look ahead to Christmas, because the Rangers have a handful of games coming up now in the next week or two, or probably three almost, as we get to Christmas, there are two games that jump out to me on the schedule. One is Colorado in Denver this coming Tuesday. I'll be flying out for that one. They'll get to see the Avalanche and get a little chance for revenge less than a week after being thoroughly outplayed on their home ice. So I'm very curious to see how the Rangers respond in that one. And then, looking further ahead, they do have Vegas coming to town on December 17th. Those are the two toughest games on their schedule as we lead into the holidays. So I think you want to see how competitive they are against those legitimate contenders for sure. 
But again, winning against the teams you're supposed to beat is a good thing. That's something that the Rangers should be proud of. That's something that fans should be happy about. And they've been taking care of business so far in large part. Here we are, 17-5-3 and three at this point in the season. One of the best records in the entire league. Certainly in the hunt for first place in their division. A lot of things to feel good about if you're a Rangers fan. Panarin, I mentioned, has been on fire lately. The lines, as we've talked about, I believe have a really good blend right now. I think this is probably the best combination the Rangers can make without Sammy Blay and given their current personnel. The defense, I think, has done an overall solid job in the last few weeks of limiting scoring chances against. I don't think they've asked as much out of their goalies, that game against Colorado with Huska notwithstanding. Otherwise, I think the defense has been mostly good during this good stretch for the Rangers. And their special teams have been really good. The power play caught fire. I think they scored in six straight games, and they've definitely looked a lot more efficient to me. They've looked like they're moving the puck around with a lot more purpose. It feels like they have threats all over the ice right now, including Ryan Strom, which I wrote about a little bit last week, sort of repositioning himself and moving around and going back towards the blue line to create better shooting angles for himself. We've talked about that right-handed shot from the right circle and how that's not a great position for him to be in as far as one-timers and things of that nature. But Strom is a smart enough player where he realizes that as well, and he's repositioning himself and sort of confusing the defense a little bit by moving himself into different spots, backing himself up, and then attacking straight forward at the goal, which is creating a better shooting angle for himself. And we've seen him cash in on a couple power play goals recently. And the PK has been good. Now, they they got burned by Colorado on Wednesday night, but prior to that, they had killed 21 straight penalties. So, again, for the most part, a lot of things are, are really going well for this team. The issue right now, probably the top concern right now, is the goaltending because Igor Shosturkin went out last weekend with this lower body injury, certainly looked like a right leg injury for, for those of us that were in the building watching. And the way that it looked when Igor first came off the ice and needed help and wasn't putting any weight at all on that right leg It looked scary. It looked like this could be a season-threatening type thing. You worried about ACL or groin, which has been an issue for him. We've seen recurring a few times now early in his career. The Rangers seemed very optimistic in the aftermath of that injury that this was not going to be a long-term thing. I was told that they weren't viewing this as a month-to-month thing, but rather a week-to-week thing. And then to take it a step further... Gerard Gallant actually said to us in the initial press conference after Shesterkin's injury that they thought he would be coming off the injured reserve list pretty much as soon as he was eligible after the minimum seven days. Now, here we are. I'm recording this on Thursday. It'll come out on a Friday. Friday night, the Rangers are playing in Buffalo against the Sabres. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like quite a stretch that Igor will be activated for that game. I would bank on that not happening. Here's a couple reasons why. For one, I know the Rangers wanted to keep him off his feet for a little while. We don't know exactly what the injury is. Of course, you know how the NHL is. It's always lower body, upper body. But again, we saw that it was something with the right leg. They wanted him off his feet for a while. The MRI did not reveal anything serious, as far as I understand. But they wanted to give him proper chance to rest because he has had a history of certain injuries, especially groin stuff. So 
Thursday was the day that he was scheduled to skate for the first time. But the Rangers were not practicing on Thursday. They were traveling to Buffalo. So Igor was expected to get on the ice that day. But without a full practice, is there any way that it would be reasonable to expect him to step right in and play on Friday, getting on the ice one day before a game and then going right out there after not playing for a week? I don't think so. And from what I've heard, that is certainly not going to be the plan for the Rangers. And then you connect more dots here. They did just send Huska back down to the AHL and recall Keith Kincaid. They couldn't initially recall Kincaid because he was in COVID protocol for the Wolfpack, but now he's been cleared and the Rangers made the decision to send Huska down and bring Kincaid up. We know that Kincaid is going to be their preferred choice if everybody's healthy in the event of an injury, as far as the minor league guys go, he was the one getting the majority of the starts for Hartford anyway. So now he's being brought up and him being brought up for that game against the Sabres should tell you everything you need to know. Igor is not going to be activated for that game. It's going to be Georgiev or maybe even Kincaid as the starter against the Sabres on Friday. Now is Igor a possibility for Sunday? We're going to have to wait and see. Gerard Gallant did not talk today. From what I've heard, it's pretty tight-lipped right now as far as how Igor felt after trying to skate on Thursday. But I think you have to assume the Rangers are going to want him to get at least one practice, which would be Saturday, before playing in a game. And that might even be a stretch. This could drag out longer. Again, I was told initially, look for this to be a week-to-week thing. So maybe he's a possibility for Sunday against the Nashville Predators, but it would not surprise me if it stretches out beyond that. You want to play this safe. The last thing you want to do is rush him out there prematurely and risk re-injury. So I know it's probably frustrating for fans because Igor has been the Rangers' best player this season and has won them some games single-handedly. But I think the Rangers need to be cautious. Although Gallant sounded like he expected him back in a week and wanted him back in a week, it sounds like the brakes are being pumped on that a little bit right now. So... Next time I get a chance to talk to Gallant, I will obviously ask for a timetable update. But the situation right now is that Kincaid is up, which tells you it could be minimum another game, maybe more than that, that the Rangers expect not to have Igor, and we'll take it from there. So my final word on that would be don't expect to see Igor Friday in Buffalo. It's iffy for Sunday against Nashville, and we'll see how he looks potentially practicing with the team on Saturday if the Rangers decide to go that route, if they feel like he came out of Thursday feeling good enough to get back into a real live practice situation. All right, with that, let's get to our interview with Sam, and then I will be back to answer your Twitter question. And now let's welcome into the show a familiar voice for New York Rangers fans, the voice of the New York Rangers from MSG Network, Sam Rosen. Sam, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm doing very well, Vince, and I'm happy to be with you uh, and happy to talk hockey anytime, but this season especially because this has been uh, a lot of fun so far. Yeah, for sure. I want to get some of your thoughts on that and how the team is doing it and that sort of thing. But I I want to start by talking a little bit about you. I'm sure you're aware of this. You are a fan favorite, but I do you realize how much fans love you? Because (laughs) Sam, for people like me, my age, I'm 34 and people even older than me 
we grew up only associating your voice with Rangers games. So I'm sure you hear that all the time, but I'm sure it also probably doesn't get old for you. Uh, I'll tell you, Vince, uh, to say I'm a lucky guy is putting it mildly, but to be associated with the Rangers as long as I have and to be part of Madison Square Garden as long as I have and to be part of this fandom and I say it in a, in a greatest compliment with with as much appreciation. The fans of the Rangers are everywhere. I remember in the early days when we were starting out and uh, the road games were on WOR Channel 9, and that was a super station, and we would go out to Minnesota, and people would drive in from North Dakota and South Dakota and uh, far out in the Midwest to see the Rangers play and to meet myself and John Davidson was my partner at the time. It, it, it was amazing. And then we'd go out to LA and there would be throngs of Rangers fans. And you realize how much love there is for the team. And to be part of that has been just, you know, it's been a thrill a day for me. It's amazed me just in my three years covering the team that no matter which city you go to, you always spot tons of Rangers jerseys in the stands in every arena. It's really amazing. Uh, the, the fans are great. And, you know, Vince, we live in a, a transient society. People are moving, whether it's to go to school or to get a new job, whatever it is, people are moving around, but they take this love for the team with them. And I grew up in New York and was a, a, a big Rangers fan and would go to games on Sunday nights. And uh, you, you realize that that passion stays with you. It doesn't go away, even if you move out of the city. And I've, I've realized that now because hockey has become such an international sport, you realize people are watching all over the world, when we have players from Sweden and Finland and uh, and the Czech Republic and Russia, in the middle of the night, the their families, the players' families, are getting up to watch the games. And uh, so, when you when you meet people, you meet these Ranger fans all over. You realize that there's tremendous passion for this team. You just touched on some of the things I want to ask you about, which is sort of how you got into hockey, where your passion from hockey came from. I know now, correct me if I'm wrong on anything, but you were born in Germany, moved to yes. Brooklyn when you were young, correct? Very young, two and, years old. And then, I mean, I know you're a Rockland County guy now. Have you been there for a long time? Yes. Yeah. And, I've been uh, in Rockland County since 1973. Okay. Okay. And then, so Rangers fan growing up, it sounds like you said you attended games. Was hockey always one of your favorites? And then at what point did you start to realize that broadcasting was something that you wanted to get into? All, all the major sports were part of my growing up. I loved all sports. I played baseball right through college, uh, but I loved football. And I'll, I'll admit to on occasion sneaking in to a couple of Giants games because it was impossible to get tickets but uh, friends of mine and myself, were, on occasion, we were able to sneak in to a couple of Giants games. <laughs> Yankee games we went to and, and Giants games and Knicks and Rangers. 
And that's that's what I grew up. The passion was sports. We loved it. We played it uh, out in the parks and we went to as many games as we could. The greatest thing growing up was we had geo cards. They were called general organization cards. You got them from your school and we could go to a Knicks game or a Rangers game for 50 cents. And you'd get to the, there'd be a seven o'clock game. They'd open the gates at 4.30 and you would run up as fast as you could to the balcony to get the best seats you possibly could. But for 50 cents, there was no greater bargain. But uh, the, the, the love of sports carried me throughout my childhood. It's, it's been such a big part of my life. And the Rangers were one of those were one of the four major teams. It was the Yankees. Um, it was the Dodgers had moved in the 50s and the Giants had moved. So it was the Yankees, the Knicks, the Rangers, and the Giants. And then as far as broadcasting, did you realize at a young age that that was the career path you wanted to pursue? Not at a, as a young age. I will say this. I was outside playing sports with my friends but I would always have a transistor radio listening to games. And I grew up with that, listening to games, watching games, a lot of radio listening. Uh, as I got through college and played baseball and played baseball in high school and college and was a pretty, pretty good ball player, but not good enough. And when the realization sets in, Vince, that I'm not going to be able to take that final step to get to the bigs, um, the next best thing was uh, was to try to become a broadcaster because I loved sports, again, listening and watching growing up. And so then my major turned to uh, journalism, speech, and TV production. And then you land with MSG. I know you started there, I think, in the early 80s, and then by 84 84- – you were doing the play-by-play for, for all the games. So you've been doing that for, I guess, now 37, 38 years. Yes, this is my 38th year, Vince. And as I said before, uh, you can't be luckier than I've been to work with great people at Madison Square Garden uh, who set the highest standards. And it's been, it's been a joy. And I've had uh, the other part of being fortunate and having good luck is that I've had basically three broadcast partners on the TV side. Phil Esposito and I worked together for two years. He became the general manager of the Rangers in 1986. John Davidson came back to New York from Canada, where he had honed his broadcast skills. We worked together for 20 years. And now when John moved on to become an executive, went to St. Louis to take over there uh, uh, as president of hockey operations. And then later on with Columbus and and the Rangers, Um, Joe Micheletti stepped in. Joe and I had worked together on Fox and Joe came over. He had been doing Islander broadcast and we've been together for 16 years. So it's been uh, a joyride for me to work with the best people, uh, great hockey people, great people in general. And uh, it's been it's been special. I was lucky. My predecessor, 
with the Rangers. Jim Gordon was the guy who recommended me to the people at Madison Square Garden as a fill-in guy. In 1977, Jim was supposed to fill in for Marv Albert on a Knicks-Nets game, and Jim got sick, couldn't do the game. He recommended me, and as the story goes, I've been there ever since. That's pretty neat. All you needed was a foot in the door, and then you took advantage of it, which is which is a great great story to hear. And you mentioned the partners. I wanted to ask you about that. I we had we've had Joe on the show before, and I joked with him that because Esposito was the GM, JD was the team president. Joe's next step is to get into an executive role. And Joe said the only thing he's going to go for is a step above those guys. He wants to be the owner of the team. So I guess, <laughs> I, I guess we'll have to talk to Jim Dolan about that. But uh, as far as for you, I haven't checked Joe's uh, bank account balance, but uh, hopefully he's saving the money he's earning uh, in broadcasting. And maybe who knows, maybe the Micheletti family will pool their resources and uh, and buy a team. Yeah, I think Joe might have some money hidden under the mattress or something. We'll have, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to find out. But when you think back with all these memories that, that you have that I'm sure come flooding back when you have these conversations, I would assume that 1994 ranks high on your list of, of favorite moments. When you think back to broadcasting that season, is there any moment, anything in particular about being around the team at that time that, that jumps out to you? Um, there were there were several moments on the good side, uh, it was being around this collection of great, pl- great players and great people. It was a s- very strong uh, group in the locker room. You know, we obviously we know Mark Messier as the great leader. Brian Leach, Hall of Fame player. Mike Richter uh, had the, the the best year ever for Rangers goaltender. Adam Graves was a heart and soul. Uh, player on that team, but there were so many other characters. Glenn Healy, Eddie Olchek, who's uh, a, a good friend of mine, and he was on that team. Um, Mike Keenan was a driving and powerful force, and uh, Mike, you know, could be very, he could be as close to you as possible. At times, you'd think he was your best friend, and then other times, you kind of wondered. What was going on? Um, We had a moment where I came to the uh, rink one day for practice, and Mike said to me, you know, Sam, uh, the players have a problem with you. And I said, what? What what are you saying, Mike? He said, yeah, you you better check it out. Players have a problem with you. So I went to the locker room. And I went around to everybody, to every player, starting with Mark Messi. I said, Mess, you have a problem with me? Mike Richter went to Brian Leach, went to Adam Graves, went to Joey Koser, went to Alex Kovalov, went to every player. Nobody had a problem. So I went to my boss, uh, Doug Moss, the president of the network at the time. And I said, Doug, and I told him what had happened. And he said, you know what, Sam? Don't worry about it. That's Mike being Mike and just trying to control everything. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I, I always recall because it was like, right, it came from out of nowhere. But overall, Vince, that season was glorious. I mean, you know, the team, we started off 
with the French's Mustard Cup in London. We went to London for a two-game preseason series with the Toronto Maple Leafs, sponsored by French's Mustard. And it was quick, go over there. We did a, some quick sightseeing. Uh, everybody <laughs> was uh, fatigued from the travel, but we came back and then the team got into the season. They went on a long run where they were unbeaten. Uh, everybody was playing great. Mark Messier uh, pulled it all together on the ice. The team took off. They made a trade to bring in Steve Larmer. James Patrick was traded up to Hartford. It was a three-way deal. And Larmer became a, a really important part of that team. And the season was going along. Great players there. Tony Amanti was there. Mike Gartner was there. And things were going fabulously. They're number one team. Now we're getting close to the trade deadline. And Mike Keenan is, is pushing Neil Smith to make some deals. Mike did not like the structure of the team, how it was made up. He didn't feel it had the grit to be a Stanley Cup champion. And Neil made some deals at the trade deadline, which, which were tough. Mike Gartner was traded to Toronto. Glenn Anderson came back, came to the Rangers. Glenn Anderson was a five-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, but Mike Gartner had been such a good guy to be around. He, he scored so many goals. He was such a great player. But they let him go. Tony Amante traded to Chicago. Stefan Matteau, Brian Noonan come back. And those guys turn out to be integral parts of the Rangers championship run. So there were other moves that were made uh, at the Craig McTavish was brought in. And so there was really some unsettling moments at the trade deadline. And we were at Cal in Calgary at the time. And so the deals were made and uh, a lot of people shaking their heads at the time, but it all came together. And the team made the run, but there were moments in the playoffs as well. But it was just a, a looking back on it, you couldn't ask for anything more exciting, exhilarating. And then for the team to win the Stanley Cup after 54 years at Madison Square Garden, there was nothing like it. Nothing like it, Vince. Sam, I've always wondered. The, the famous call that this one will last a lifetime. Was that planned or was that spontaneous? Did you think about that before or did that just come to you in the moment? In before game five, when the Rangers were uh, Rangers came back from Vancouver, having won two games in Vancouver and now led the series three games to one. And everybody thought it was over. Everybody's making phone calls. Where are you going after the game? Where's the victory party going to be? Then on and on. And as I'm getting ready for game five, I'm thinking of things that I want to say. And, and so we get into game five and the Rangers fall behind three, nothing came back, came back to tie the game three, three and Vancouver then went on to win the game six, three and extend the series back to Vancouver. Vancouver wins 4-1. And now you throw out all those things. Now it's game seven and you realize anything can happen. So I avoided trying to 
fill my head with ideas of what I wanted to say because, you know what? Game seven, anything could happen. What if they lost? These are the Rangers. They have, they've never won in 54 years. So I cleared my head of anything and we get late in the game. The Rangers are up three to two. They're protecting the lead and the puck is sent out of the zone down the ice. And John and I start to get into that feel that this is it. We, we, we need to start building and it's an icing. They bring the puck back another face off puck is in the zone puck is sent down this time. It's sent a little slower and I believe it was Jeff Brown was the uh, defenseman uh, goes back for the puck and slows down. And Kevin Collins was the linesman and he calls another icing. <laughs> so, and while that puck was, was cleared out, we start to say, Oh, the, you know, it, it looks like the curses are going to end. And, and there's another icing. And they put 1.6 seconds on the clock and they drop the puck. McTavish takes the face off, ties up his the opposing centerman, and it's over. And, and that's when that's when it all came out. I finally felt I could release it. The waiting was over. And the Rangers were the Stanley Cup champions. And and all what came out was this one will last a lifetime because people had waited a lifetime for this moment. And finally they had it. And no matter what happened afterwards, another cup, no cups, that one would last a lifetime. At that, that's amazing. I, I, you wonder about, I mean, obviously I don't do broadcasting. I do writing. And when you're writing everything that I write, you put a lot of thought into you put thought into every single word, but in the broadcast booth, I, I know you don't always have that luxury. And some people prefer not to put that much thought into it ahead of time. They want it to be spontaneous. So I always want to ask you that question. Cause I was fascinated by that. Now it had been 54 years at the time. It hasn't been as long now. It's, it's been more like, what are we coming up on 30 years now? 20. Yeah. Yeah. 20, 20, Get on 20. We're on 27. Yeah. 27. So now this team, you know, I don't think we're going to call them Stanley Cup contenders quite yet, but you've been around for the last few years with this rebuild, which I'm sure was kind of unique for you because you had always seen them mostly go for it. And, and so you've seen this thing kind of tear down and, and build back up. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on the current team, where they stand, obviously off to a tremendous start this season with the 17-5-3 and three record. And then, you know, for you, are you starting to see signs that that you think this could be heading back in the direction of being a, a really true contending team? Yeah, I do, Vince. I mean, I look at the team and uh, I agree with you. They're not Stanley Cup contenders right now, but the way they've responded uh, to Gerard Gallant and his coaching staff and the way they've come out of the gate uh, has been eye-opening. But we, you look at the team and you realize they have uh, some really outstanding high-end talent. And the, the biggest problem, the way I see it, is being able to keep it all together. In the era of salary cap, can they keep this group 
together a big enough part of the group. I mean, obviously there are changes from year to year, free agency, whatever it is, trades. Um, it's, it's hard to keep it together. But when you look at this team and you look at the players like Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, uh, Artemi Panarin, Ryan Strom, Jacob Truba, uh, Adam Fox, Ryan Lindgren, I have to put him in there because I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league, the way he plays. He plays so well. The growing of, then it's the growth of the young players. Um, Adam Fox being part of that, but what will the Rangers get from Alexi Lafreniere, from Capo Caco, from Keandre Miller? Uh, these young players, if they can keep this group together, they have the makings of a championship team. Uh, the goaltending was the big question mark coming in, but so far, Igor Shesterkin looks like the real deal. Now, obviously, things can happen. We know there are injuries. We're living in the COVID era. Things can happen. But this team if they can keep it together for the next couple of years, has the makings of a championship-caliber team, especially if Alexi Lafreniere and Capo Caco turn out to be the type of players that the Rangers hope they would be when they drafted them. The, the thing that people have to be patient, it's, it's what the previous – coaching staff and management was preaching and the current coaching staff is preaching. Be patient with the youngsters. You know, Alexi Lafreniere is going to be 20 years old. Capo Caco is going to be 21 years old. These are just infants in their NHL careers. And again, uh, in a couple of years, you hope that there'll be something special. And if they are, and if the high-end players that I mentioned before are still playing at a high level, then you have a championship-type team. Well, I think you touched on an important part of it there, Sam, and that is the difficulties potentially of keeping this group together, especially in the post-COVID flat salary cap world where the Rangers, at the time when they were signing Panarin and Kreider and, and anticipating what the cap might be at this point they were expecting it to be a higher number than it is now so they're definitely going to have to squeeze some things in there in the next couple of years as some of these young players are due for new contracts but so far it looks like they're finding a way to do it I know they feel confident that they will be able to retain most of the guys that they feel are the core players of this team and it's going to be interesting to see we're, we're just at the beginning of this uptick this upswing and obviously the start to the season has been going really well which leads me to one of the last things I want to ask you you can tell the way that you talk about it. You still love it. I, I, I see you around the rink all the time. I can, I can feel your passion. Do you see yourself going for a while? It sounds like, it sounds like you're not slowing down at all to me, Sam. Uh, Vince, I, I love it. I love every day. I look forward to the next game uh, because the one thing that I appreciate uh, about doing this job, and I don't, I shouldn't even refer to it as a job, but in, in this profession is I'm watching the greatest players in the world every night and you never know what's going to happen. I look forward to the game and uh, whether it's Ranger players, 
players on the other teams. I've seen the greatest players in the world. These players come from all over the world. They have great stories, and I love being around them. I think the hardest part for me was last year and not being around the players and getting a feel for what they were going through and talking to them one-on-one. I missed that terribly. Um, it's a lot, it's better this year, but to answer your question, Vince, as long as I'm healthy and as long as I can perform at a, at a high level and the people respond the way they have, um, I love doing the job. I don't know how long, uh, it'll go on. Uh, but to this point, uh, knock wood, everything's been great for me. And, uh, as long as they Keep letting me in the garden. I'll keep calling the games. That's great to hear because because we love having you around. Uh, I really really appreciate it, Sam. I thank you so much for the time. I was going to I was going to maybe finish up by asking you what you want the Yankees to do in the lockout list, but maybe we'll save that. <laughs> maybe we'll save that for next time. Uh, we could talk about that at the rink. But for now, I, I appreciate the time so much. Thank you so much for doing this, and maybe we'll do it again down the line. Thanks, Vince. I loved it. And we're back. Huge thanks to Sam for taking the time to come on the show. You hear this about people all the time, whether it's, you know, people you know from TV or reporters or whatever, you know, people in the news, celebrities, whoever it is. You hear all the time, oh, he's such a nice guy. Oh, that's that's a great guy. Sam legitimately is one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's been so welcoming to me since I came on the beat, seeing him around the rink all the time. Always got a big smile on his face, always asking about the family, always wants to catch up about stuff. Just such a genuinely nice guy. And when I say that you can sense his passion, this guy, more so than I think anybody else in the building, at least as far as reporters and broadcasters go, he loves it, eats it up. He's always joking around with the players, always asking the players questions, always checking in on them just fascinated by everything and is there every day. I mean, I can't say that about most of the broadcasters. I will say for the Rangers are there most days. A lot of those guys are really good about staying on top of things and and traveling with the team and showing up at practice and trying to stay immersed in it. But Sam, I think more than anybody else does not miss anything. He wants to be there every day. He wants to know all the latest happenings around the team, asks a lot of questions he still, at his age, has a tremendous passion for this, and that's really been awesome for me to observe in the last three years in my time on the beat. And I definitely wholeheartedly thank Sam for taking the time to come on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Now we will shift to the final segment, and we will move to your Twitter questions. And we had we had some interesting ones this week. I had to really narrow this down. I, I, there was about six or seven I kind of wanted to answer, but i got to have dinner soon, so we're going to keep it to three. And we're going to start with Adam Lose 75 who wrote, We need to discuss Mika, VZM. He's certainly not playing poorly, but certainly not at the level of a high-priced 1C. We blamed his terrible 2021 start on COVID, but that appears to have been a mistake. What do you think is wrong? Well, Adam, I'll, I'll sort of agree with certain parts of this and disagree on others. I, I don't think that blaming what happened to him in 2021 was wrong. I've talked to Mika about this. I've talked to other people about this. Absolutely, there were lingering effects from the virus. I don't think we should downplay that having an effect and that 
symptoms from that carried into the season. He he got it right toward the end of training camp, like the, the worst possible timing to usually you go into the season. That's when players feel most fresh. That's when they're in their best possible shape. That's when they're ready to go for the season. And, and Mika kind of had that strip from him last season. So I absolutely would not downplay what kind of an effect COVID had on him for last season. But on the other hand, this season, there are some things that I think we can address. When we talk about some of the guys in the team that are playing really well, Mika has not been at the top of that list so far. Igor has been, Panarin has been, Adam Fox has been. I think guys like Jacob Truba are having a really good year. I think Ryan Strom is having a really good year. Obviously, Chris Kreider has been red hot. He, he's been far and away their leading goal scorer. Those guys are all playing, I think, at, at a fairly high level by their standards. Mika... We've seen him play better than this. So you, you go back to right before COVID hit at the end of that 1920 season. To me, that was definitely the best we've ever seen of Mika. He hasn't quite gotten back to that level since. So we are waiting for that. You look at what he's done so far this season. 20 points through 25 games, but 16 of those points are assists. This is a guy who led the NHL in goals per game. In that 1920 season, nobody scored goals at a higher clip than Mika Zibanejad in that season. This year, only four goals through 25 games, 16 assists. His assist numbers are definitely up. He's not traditionally, at least not in the last couple of years, a huge assist guy. He's more of a goal scorer. So maybe that speaks to him focusing on different aspects of his game, looking to pass more, especially when you're playing with a guy like Chris Kreider, who's been red hot at putting the puck in the back of the net. It's understandable that maybe Mika would be saying, okay, I'm going to look to feed him more and maybe shoot a little bit less, but he has not scored a goal in his last 14 games, 14 games without a goal that, that jumps out at you. That is clearly something that I think there has to be at least a certain level of concern behind. It's obviously not what you expect out of him. One thing that I've heard people mention and could be a factor here is that Maybe he's missing Pavel Buchnevich. We know about the longstanding chemistry with Kreider, Zabanajad, and Buchnevich, and that for the first few weeks, month, whatever it was of the season, the Rangers were really struggling to find the right fit to fill Buch's spot on the right wing on that top line. So I think that that is something that can't be overlooked completely. I do think that line has looked better since Capo Caco joined. They haven't quite hit their stride yet, but I feel like every game I see shifts where you're like, okay, you see where they're going with this. You can see what the coaching staff had in mind when they decide to put those guys together. I do believe that Kako is the best possible fit based on the current personnel. So I want to see how that plays out over time. And I think that Kako we've seen is sort of trying to take on that boot roll of holding pucks, being strong on pucks, and looking to set up Kreider and Mika, which you would hope maybe will open things up for Mika from a scoring perspective. I'm not alarmed yet, especially because he's getting assists and the team is winning. But I do agree that this is something worth monitoring. You, 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 you We've seen Mika in the past. He's sort of a hot streak kind of scorer. When he gets hot, it seems like everything is going in for him. And then last year, obviously, we saw a bit of a cold streak from him. This could be one of those cold streaks, and I would expect that at a certain point he'll catch fire, or at the very least, the goal scoring will pick up. I don't think you're going to see him go 14 games without a goal very often. But again, he's getting assists during the span. 
The team is winning during this span, and I don't think it's it's something to panic about. I, I do think it's something that, that we need to monitor. I do think that at some point you want to see that goal scoring click. It still looks like he's searching for his shot. That could be one of those things like, you know, like a baseball player when you're in a slump hitting. Sometimes you're seeing the ball well. Sometimes the ball looks really big and and you're putting the barrel on it all the time. Other times it, it's much more difficult. Mika, it might be one of those streaks right now where his shot is not as accurate or just not as fierce as what we're used to seeing from him. All right. Our next question comes from Jason Winken. I think it's Winken. Anyway, Jason wrote, how much is the GOAT, Ryan Strom, going to re-sign for? Who do you see leaving the team if we re-sign him? Well, Jason, I, I wrote a story. Uh, it was for subscribers only that came out on Monday where I had done some reporting, made some calls, sort of to figure out what the Rangers' plans were moving forward. Because what came into focus for me, and I'm going to address this part of this uh, a little more in the final question, but... What I've talked to a lot of people about in the last really month, especially since the Rangers locked up Adam Fox and Mika Zibanejad to their extensions, is that the core of this team is really locked in. If you consider, I called them in the story, the essential six, that would be Mika, Kreider, Fox, Panarin, Igor Shosturkin, and Jacob Truba. Those six players are going to account next year for over 60% of the Rangers' available salary cap space. That's a big chunk of your salary cap devoted to only six players. Now, when the Rangers initially signed Panarin and Truba and gave Kreider that extension, in their minds, they thought the cap was going to be a lot higher than it is right now. They thought it was going to be closer to $90 million, whereas next year we know it's going to be sitting at $82.5 million. Obviously, COVID did a number on that and really frankly, screwed things up for a lot of teams. So it's forcing the Rangers to squeeze things a little bit tighter, and it is going to force them to make some difficult decisions. One of those decisions, from what I've heard now from a couple different people in the last few weeks, is that when the Rangers consider second-line center behind Mika and what they're going to do there long-term, they have reached the conclusion, it sounds to me internally, that they aren't going to find a player at the price point that they think that they can afford who they would view as an upgrade over Strom. Strom, when you factor in the production in the last three years, which has been high, when you factor in the chemistry with Artemi Panarin, and it's become very clear, especially in the last two years, that him and Panarin are no fluke. Panarin really enjoys playing with him, and there is something between those two guys that wouldn't be automatic if you switch in another center to replace Strom. And the fact that Strom is such a beloved player in the locker room, I can tell you he is definitely one of the most popular teammates and a guy who really keeps things loose, but also is a mentor to a lot of young players and a lot of guys look up to him. So when you factor in all that stuff, the Rangers know him. They know he can play here. They know he can succeed here. They, it sounds to me, have reached the conclusion that they would like to re-sign him. And I was told not to be surprised, even if it happens in season, they might not even let him hit unrestricted free agency, which if you told me that a year ago, I would have been shocked because 
Strom always felt like more of a Band-Aid, given the way that he was acquired, given how it came down to the last minute when he was a restricted free agent for the Rangers to even extend him a qualifying offer, and even then they only gave him a two-year contract. It always seemed like he was a placeholder, but now that has definitely shifted. That thinking does not seem to be prevalent anymore. It sounds to me like the Rangers want to re-sign him, and a part of that also, frankly, is the money. Right now, Strom is being paid $4.5 million a year. But the Rangers, I think, from what I've heard, believe that they can probably get him to stay because he loves it here for, they hope, an average annual value of five, maybe five and a half million in that range. They might have to push it a little bit higher than that. I don't think they want to go to six, especially because when you consider the essential six guys that I talked about, and some of the young guys who are going to need new contracts, Capo Caco being one of them for next season. I wrote about all this stuff in the story if you want more detail, so I would definitely encourage you guys to go to loha.com slash sports slash rangers to, to, to read the, the, the big picture and the full story. But essentially, the Rangers are working with like $10.7 million in cap space next year. They have That's 17 guys under contract, which leaves them three, four, five, six spots to fill. They want Strom to be one of them, but you really can't push him much higher than five, five and a half million if you're going to do that. Obviously, they're going to re-sign Kako. Now, his price tag is going to be largely dependent on what happens this season. If he has a big breakout season, he's going to want more, and he's going to have earned that and deserved that, and you can't blame him for that. But at the same time, with $10.7 million to spread around, Kako, realistically, the Rangers are probably going to have to try to get him in that three to four million dollar range. And then you've got a few little scraps left over to try to re-sign Sammy Blay, try to find a backup goalie, fill out your roster. I think they're going to have to do it with low level guys, entry level contract guys or cheap free agent signings. So the Rangers, I think when it comes to that Strom contract, which was the initial question that Jason asked me here, they believe that for a second-line center, like we've talked about guys like Tomas Hurdle, who will be available in free agency, but he's going to cost you more than five, five and a half million. So when the Rangers think about who they feel comfortable with as a second-line center and who fits in their price range, the conclusion that they've come to is that Strom is that guy. And that's why I'm starting to believe strongly that, that he is going to stick around in New York. And I think you're looking at a contract that's probably going to fall in that five to five and a half million dollar a year range. All right. Our final question, which we just touched on a little bit here, but I tried to save some of it for this final question because I thought it was a good one as well, comes from Big Lou, one of our uh, go-to guys in the program. He's been a loyal follower since day one, it seems. And Lou wrote, looking down the road, it seems like the Rangers are going to have to move out a contract or two to make cap space. Out of Truba, Kreider, and Gaudreau, who is most and least likely to be traded or bought out? Well, Lou, when you're talking about trades, the first thing that we have to mention here is that those three guys that you mentioned have no movement clause or at least partial no movement clauses in their contract. Now, when I talked about the essential six, I didn't include Gaudreau. Just because his overall number is a little bit lower, he's three point six million. The the six guys that I mentioned are all five or higher. But Goudreau, you could say, is is the seventh guy who they have locked up long term because he's under contract for several more years. So he, the Rangers signed him for six years, so he's got five more after this. Looking at those three guys that you mentioned, Goudreau 
has a partial no movement clause all the way through the uh, the contract, which means he is able to submit a 15 team no trade list. So the Rangers could trade him to one of the teams that isn't on the list in theory. Truba, on the other hand, has a full no movement clause up until 2425, which is when a partial no movement trade uh, trade clause kicks in and he'll submit a 15 team list to the team. But for the next three seasons, Truba is basically untouchable unless he gives the Rangers permission. So I, I don't Truba is a guy who I certainly don't see going anywhere anytime soon. And I know a lot of fans ha- have made him somewhat of a punching bag because of that $8 million a year contract that he signed. But to me, he's having his best season as a Ranger in a variety of ways. You look at the physicality of a guy like Truba, and and that's something that I wrote about actually today in, in a column, if you guys want to go check that one out, about these hits that he had in the last two games, which granted, the one in Chicago, that was a really, really scary scene. But Truba, the people that I talk to, all believe that those hits are clean and, and pretty much textbook. And as far as guys who can deliver those hits with the type of force that Truba can, he ranks near the top of the list in the NHL. So the the Rangers love his edge and his physicality and what he brings in in those aspects of the game. On top of that, defensively, I think he's been, for the most part, solid. Like, Like every player, he makes mistakes that jump out to you sometimes. But I think he's been a really solid defensive player for them this season. And the Rangers love his commitment in that zone. And then on top of that, the point production this year, he's averaging about a point, half a point per game, which is well above what he did in his first two seasons as a Ranger. He scored goals in consecutive games. Now, I just think you've seen him look a little more comfortable jumping into the rush, getting into the offensive zone, and especially using that big, heavy slap shot that he has, which a lot of guys in the team will tell you is the best that the Rangers have. So Truba, I think, has had a good year right now, and I definitely don't see the Rangers looking to move him anytime soon. And then Kreider, looking at his contract, no movement clause for the next few years through the 23-24 season, and then it becomes a partial no-trade no clause with a 15-team no-trade list. So if you're going to think about trading Truba or Kreider in particular, you can't even think about that until the 24-25 season. And, and at that point, it's going to depend on how they're playing. Truba is only under contract until the age of 32, so the Rangers basically have him locked up for his prime. It's not like he's going to be old at the end of that contract. Kreider is under contract until he's 36, but if he continues to perform at a high level, I don't see why the Rangers would be looking to get rid of him. It all depends how they age within the, the, the length of this contract. Are they still playing at a high level in three, four years? Or is their game diminished in any way? If it's diminished, then yeah, potentially they could look to trade them. But more likely... What I think the Rangers, especially in the next couple of years, when the, when the cap situation is going to get tight and the guys you mentioned have those no movement clauses, the Rangers more likely are going to have to consider one of the younger players whose entry-level contract expires, maybe trading them, letting them walk, doing something. Because we just talked about Kako getting a new contract this summer. The following summer, you're going to be looking at Lafreniere, Heedle and Miller all needing new contracts. And obviously Lafreniere, you don't expect to go anywhere, but Miller and Heedle are those guys the Rangers are going to want to commit big money long-term to. It's largely going to depend on what happens in the next two years. So I think as these younger players get to the point where they're due for raises, the Rangers are going to have some tough decisions to make because you can't keep them all. We've talked about this before. 
And then you look at the next wave of prospects, the young defensemen that are in Hartford right now, the wingers who I wrote about in this story that that talked about the big picture stuff for the Rangers that the Rangers are really excited about right now, whether it's Brett Berard, Brennan Othman, Will Cooley, who you heard on the show last week. What's going to be key for the Rangers is that when certain contracts expire and certain players are due for raises, if the Rangers need to move on, they need this next wave of prospects who will be coming in young and cheap on entry-level contracts to be able to step into the lineup and effectively plug holes. So I think that is maybe more likely what you're going to see, Lou. I don't necessarily think they're rushing Truba or Kreider or Gaudreau out the door anytime soon. They could get to that point in three or four years, but it's way too soon to jump to that conclusion. I think more likely what you're going to see is other guys, younger guys that are coming up needing new contracts soon, like in the next two years, the Rangers might have a tough decision to make with at least one of those guys and have to move on and maybe let one of those young new guys come in on a new entry-level contract and fill the gap. That is, I think, ultimately what might happen when they need to save a little cap room in the next couple of years. Because as you touched on, Lou, they're not going to be able to re-sign everybody. It's just not feasible given the flat salary cap and the impact that COVID-19 had on the NHL's finances. Unfortunately, I think there might have been a time two years ago when the Rangers dreamed about being able to keep everybody, or at least most of them. But now there's probably going to be an extra difficult decision or two for them to consider in the next couple of years. And I think that essential six group that I mentioned, those guys are safe for now. Those are the guys that the Rangers are banking on to lead them to the promised land. It's, it's the younger guys who are going to need to prove their worth. And if the Rangers are hesitant about giving them big contracts or bigger contracts than what they have right now, then the next option is going to be let them go and try another young guy out because These entry-level contracts are only three years. So you want to ideally get guys to the NHL during that entry-level contract period when they can be effective players for you. And guys, whether it's Othman or Cooley or Zach Jones or Matthew Robertson or Braden Schneider, guys like that that can step in while they're on their entry-level contract to perform, those are going to be the guys that the Rangers need to step up because they can't keep everybody. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you to Sam Rosen for taking the time to come on. Thanks to everybody who listened. As always, really enjoyed this week's episode. We'll be back next week. Remember, not on Thursday, but on Friday. And until then, I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will talk to you soon.